0: So uh, the word has been prayed for so I'd request us to turn to John 151 to17 John 15 1 to17 and uh, I'd request those who are able to kindly uh, stand for the reading of God's word. Neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the true vine, and you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered and thrown into the fire and are burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done You did not choose me, but I chose you, and I appointed you that you should go and bear fruit, and that your fruit should abide, so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I command you, so that you will love one another. You may be seated. Um, as I have said earlier, it is always a privilege to bring God's word to us uh, whenever... He gets the opportunity and it's good to see uh, different people, visitors, some whom I know from around and today the Lord has graced their hearts that they come and fellowship with us so we thank the Lord for that. And so as we have read from John 15, 1 to 17, today the uh, title of, our, of the sermon today is Abide in Me. It's as simple as that, three words, abide in me. We've been looking at... Uh, joy, uh, Brother Victor has been taking us through a two sundays a two Sunday sermon where he reminded us of what joy is what Christian joy is how as Christians we can have joy uh, while we walk through this world that is riddled with suffering uh, within and without and so today we are going to continue with that although that will form the last point of our sermon so I'd like to start us off by uh, presenting to us a scenario imagine that you're married you know for those of us who are married and you know imagine that your spouse uh, goes away on a really long journey and you love them your husband or your wife and you don't know when they are going to come back you don't know whether what they are doing there is safe or not you don't know whether they are safe and you don't really understand whether they're going to come back or not when they are going to come back and The only thing that they leave you with is a letter to read. And in this letter, they tell you this is how you're going to live. This is how you're going to remain joyful in our marriage. If you really want to remain joyful and in love with me, these are the things you're supposed to do, do A, B, C, D. And you're going to experience the full joy of our marriage. And this is what Jesus does from John chapter 14 all the way to John chapter 17. It's called his farewell discourse. Jesus is about to go back to the Father. He's about to die. you know. He's about to die and then resurrect for the sake of our sin. And so he leaves us with this speech where he talks to his disciples about what he requires of them. It reminds us of what Moses did in the book of Deuteronomy before he dies. He gives the Israelites a farewell sermon. It reminds us of Joshua, what he did in the book of Joshua 23 and 24. He leaves them with a sermon again of how they are going to live within God's land. So this is what Jesus tells us, or this is what Jesus is doing from John chapter 13 all the way to John chapter 17. And in chapter 15, our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ reminds us of a couple of things. And so if you have a pen, you can write them down. This is... How we are going to look at our sermon today We are going to look at Jesus talking of himself as being the true vine From verse 1 to verse 8 And then from verse 9 to 17 Christ is going to talk about abiding in his love Jesus as the true vine Abiding in the love of Christ And then finally We are going to look at the primary reason why Jesus says these things Why does Jesus tell his disciples to abide in him And why does he tell them to abide in his love. So Jesus as the true vine. John verse 1 to 8. Jesus introduces himself to us in verse 1 as the true vine, and he says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Now for those of us who perhaps have been taking classes here and there um, on theology, or by God's grace, for those who uh, the Lord has allowed to be Able to read through scripture, we will understand and remember that whenever Christ uses the phrase I am, he is actually referring to his divinity. When he talks about I am the true vine, I am the sheep, I am uh, the, the good shepherd, I am the door, I am the way, the truth, and the life, he is equating himself with God. And that's what he does referring to Exodus chapter 3 when God tells Moses, Tell the Israelites, I am who I am, has sent you the all-existing one, the one who is all-sufficient and needs nothing from us. Jesus refers to himself as the great I am. He is God who gives to us and we do not give to him. Remember, all throughout scripture, when the Bible reminds us that there is nothing we can give to God, what can we offer to him? Jesus reminds us that he is the true vine. He is God the great I am. And he says, when he says that he is the true vine, by way of contrast, we can already see that Jesus is implying that there are vines which are false. Because he is the true vine, all other vines therefore do not make sense. All other vines do not satisfy and all other vines are not God. They do not please God. They do not satisfy man. And Jesus here refers to an old classic uh, Old Testament analogy in the book of Psalms chapter 80 verse 9 to 6 the psalmist refers to Israel as the vine of God that vine that God went to take out of Egypt and then brought it to the promised land Canaan to plant it there and God tends to this vine he waters it he does all the tending he prunes to it so that it bears fruit but in Isaiah 5 1 to 7 God says Israel my vine does not bear fruit In fact, it bears wild fruit. Hence, Israel proved to be a false vine. But Jesus refers to himself as the true vine, meaning he is the one who by nature bears fruit and pleases God. He is the one who responds to all the tending of God by doing the things that please God. And we see that Israel, because of not bearing fruit, in Isaiah 5, 1-7... God asks a really interesting questions. Tell me, O people of Israel, tell me, what should I do to my vine? Because it does not bear fruit. And he says, it will be trampled upon and it will be destroyed. But we see our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ referring to himself as the true vine. The one who, unlike unfaithful Israel, is faithful unto God. It is in his nature to bear much fruit and to please God, We remember Matthew 3, 17, when during the baptism of Christ and the dove has come and settled on the Lord Jesus Christ, what does God say? This is my son with whom I am well pleased. And the reason why he is well pleased with the son is because as Jesus tells us again in the book of John, I keep my father's commandments, John 15, 10, and that is why I abide in my father's love. And that is why the father loves me now jesus does not stop there he as the true vine refers also to the father or god the father as the vine dresser meaning that the father does the work of tending to the vine isaiah 5 1 to 7 we know that god knows his own as the all-wise god he knows the branches that bear fruit and those that do not When we read verse 2, every branch in me that does not bear fruit he takes away and every branch that does bear fruit he prunes so that it bears more fruit. He knows the branches that bear fruit and those that do not. Like every good vine dresser, like every good shepherd, he knows the straying sheep and he knows the loving sheep. He knows the sheep that love him, he knows the ones that do not. He knows the vines and the branches that bear fruit, the ones that do not. Like every faithful pastor, we are called to know our congregation, to know those sheep among us who love the Lord with all their heart, those who are experiencing their seasons of joy, and those who are struggling in sin. Good shepherds do that. And so, this is the vine dresser who knows each and every branch. He is the master dresser who knows what his church, the vine of Christ, must look like, because he alone builds his church, Ephesians 5:22, by taking away the stones that make it look hurried and crooked, and he adds the stones which make the church and in turn, Christ to look beautiful. So we ask ourselves, who are these branches that are bearing fruit? And who are the branches that do not and are cut? Notice that Jesus says in verse 2, Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that does not bear fruit, he prunes, so that it bears more fruit. Now, as we have talked about the vine dresser, it was very common in ancient Israel culture, Israelite culture, to have the vine dresser with a couple of tools here and there. Of course he would have a sickle, of course he would have a hoe to till the ground. He would also have a pruning knife so as to cut some parts here and there that do not bear fruit so that those branches that bear fruit would be able to be more fruitful. And he would do it all in good time and all in the right season. He cuts away all the branches that do not beautify the vine by bearing fruit. And this should bear testament to the wisdom of the vine dresser, as we have said he knows every branch by nature and Jesus here also helps us to see the care that the father gives to uh, the branches or the vine itself. He cultivates and works on the vine and its branches that they may bear more fruit. He prunes the ones that need pruning, cutting away the ones that need to be cut away and he also is very very patient for example, it would really it would more or less take three to four years for a vine from being planted to bearing fruits to happen. The vine dresser will be so patient, patient with the branches, as, as some of them bear fruit really quickly, and some of them bear fruit quite slowly, until all of them get to a point that they can be able to bear fruit. We've read from our uh, call to worship, Ephesians chapter 4, the reason why we have gifts in the church is to do what? That all of us might grow up into the maturity of Christ Jesus, to become more and more like Christ Jesus. Yet, Christ does not stop there. I think perhaps by this time, some of you are asking, who are these branches that are bearing fruit and those which are not bearing fruit? Let us quickly rush to verse 5. Christ says, I am the vine, you are the branches, and whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit, for apart from me you can do nothing. Jesus has talked of himself as the true vine and his father as the vine dresser. And every branch that is in him as you and me. Me and you are those branches in Christ Jesus, as what our Lord and Savior would remind us. Now, which branches are the ones that do not bear fruit and those that he takes away? We notice that here, all branches are tended to by the father, but some bear fruit and some do not. Which ones bear fruit? Verse 5, the ones which abide in him. And so as we have said, branches being Christians or believers or people who claim to be found in Christ, which ones are the ones that bear fruit? Those that abide in Christ. Every single person who bears fruit is the one who abides in Christ. Now the word abiding meaning to remain in Christ, to continue in Christ until the very end, and he says here that the branches that bear fruit are the ones that the Father prunes so that they bear more fruit. The Father continues his work so that they continue to bear fruit, and the ones which do not bear fruit, the Father cuts away now i've had some people who would say that here Jesus is implying that you can lose your salvation, that a Christian or a branch that is fixed to Uh, the true vine can actually lose its salvation can start off as a christian and then somewhere along the way fall away jesus is not saying that here notice he says again going back to verse 5 i am the vine and you are the branches whoever abides in me and i in him he it is that bears much fruit we have already mentioned that jesus as the true vine by nature bears fruit. And so all the branches that are really found in Christ, by nature, must bear fruit. So every branch that is in Christ, in quotes, that does not bear fruit, is not really in Christ. A false professor, a false Christian. And we see them everywhere, don't we? Perhaps even some of them are seated inside this room. We think that we are joined to Christ because we attend Sunday school. We think that we are joined to Christ because we come to church every single Sunday. We think that we are joined to Christ because we read the Bible every single day. As much as that is good, that is not what joins us to Christ. We think that we are joined to Christ because we do A, B, C, D, or even shocking because we are members of a local church. It is very possible for you to be a member of a local church Hearing God's word every single day, but you are not really joined to Christ. It's very possible. And Jesus here is referring to an example. Notice, when you, read, when you go back to chapter 13, Jesus uh, is talking about his betrayal. And he says something really interesting in verse 17 of chapter 13. Jesus says, If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. I am not speaking of all of you. I know whom I have chosen. But the scripture will be fulfilled. He who ate my bread has lifted his heel against me. And again he says in verse 10, The one who has bathed and does not does not need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean. And the punchline verse 10, but not every one of you is clean. Now, you might wonder why Jesus had to tell his disciples this. There is one particular character who is the primary example of those who seem that they are in Christ, but really they are not. And that character is called Judas. Right? He walked with Jesus, saw all that Jesus did. He was the treasurer keeping the money. You know. He saw the miracles of Christ. He was among the seventy-two us. They were sent out two by two. And they even brought back a report about how they cast out demons. And Jesus tells them do not rejoice that you are able to cast out demons but because your name has been written in the Lamb's book of life. Judas is among these people and Judas has been walking with Christ from the beginning but then at the very end Judas falls away never to return. Now Judas is the primary example of those people who seem as if they are joined to Christ but then they are not. And we see them and we know them by their fruits. Because Jesus says that again in Matthew, you will know my disciples by their fruits. We saw how Judas used to act, right? He used to help himself to some money here and there, right? And so we can never mistake whether someone is a Christian or not. You know, A wolf might wear sheep's clothing and even dwell among sheep for a very long time behaving like sheep. But then a wolf in nature is what? It's a wolf, yeah? A wolf does not eat grass the way sheep does. A wolf eats meat. And when trouble comes and when it's angry, when it's hungry, it does not eat grass, it turns it turns to on the sheep and eats the sheep. A wolf by nature howls and does not bleat, and so it will howl and it will bleat and bleat and bleat, but when suffering comes, what will a wolf do by nature? Howl. It will not bleat when suffering comes. We will all know them by their fruits, whether they bear fruit or whether they do not bear fruit. And Judas remained and stayed among God's people, stayed among the disciples, walked with Christ. But then finally in verse 29, in verse 27, Jesus tells him, What you are going to do, do quickly. In essence, Jesus is telling him, Judas, live. Your time to live is has come you have stayed for so long and you have not bore fruit live and that's how the father cuts those who are not his they will stay among you and they will not bear fruit and they will not bear fruit until a time comes where they finally fall away and when we go back to our text that is what jesus says abide in me and i in you stay remain with me until the end why jesus himself says Only those who endure to the end will be saved. And so because Jesus is the true vine, the one who by nature bears fruit, it is only appropriate that all branches in him bear fruit. So Jesus commands us two things. One, abide in him, and two, bear fruit. The branch that is really joined to the true vine is the one that remains with him to the very end all those unbelievers who may have shown that they are Christians will be known by finally walking away from the faith 1 John 2:19 a part of the church broke away and left the fellowship of believers what does john write we, what does J- john writes in 1 John 2:19 the reason why they left us is because they were not part of us but they left us so that it may be known that they are not part of us those who abide in Christ will abide to the end shortly Christians stay to the end Christians stay to the end Christians are not, never in the business of coming and going you know sometimes people say that I was a Christian for five years and then I fell away and then I came back yeah. I used to love Jesus but then now I don't seem to love him anymore. You know. Church is j- just not for me. You know, church is just I don't feel church anymore. I don't feel Christ anymore. Christ has failed me. In fact, let me just walk away for 5, 10 years and then I'll come back, you know. And then I'll come back and join you and we can continue in fellowship. Yeah. Perhaps it may be dear beloved that you are not a Christian to begin with. Perhaps it may be that you're not a Christian to begin with. Why? True Christians never live. And Christ says in verse 6, If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burnt. Now Jesus here is giving us a threat for all those who would think that they are actually his followers, but they are not. Christ would say this is your end like every branch from the vine that stays for a little while and then falls away it is gathered and thrown into the fire and burnt this is the ultimate end for all number one hypocrites and two apostates those who seem as if they are sheep and those who stay for a while and then they leave yeah and so if there's anyone here among us who In your heart you really know that you're not a follower of Christ. Perhaps you are born in a Christian family, you have never really come to faith. Because that really that is the only thing which joins us to Christ. Paul tells us that, doesn't he? Yeah? Ephesians chapter two verse eight We are only saved by grace through faith. We are joined to Christ by faith. True branches are joined not by anything else, not by superglue, brothers and sisters, they are truly in the vine by faith are we part of the church of christ maybe you are part of the church helping us to sing hymns playing the drums being a pastor of a local church preaching every single sunday but you have never really come to know jesus this is what jesus says one we will know you by how you live your life you can never lie you can never lie to the end you can never hide who you truly are to the very end you can't the Old Testament reminds us, can a leopard really change his spots? Can he? Can't. No one can, t- can change its true nature unless a work of God happens from the outside. Yeah. No one, not even an Ethiopian can change his color, the Old Testament says. Unless God works in the heart of a sinner, no one can change his nature other than the work of the Holy Spirit. In the hearts of men. And that's what Christ reminds us. Because you notice, however hard you try, Christ says in verse 5, Apart from me, you can do nothing. Apart from him, you can do nothing. Oh, well, we ask, Is it a must for me to be in Christ so that I may bear fruit? Yes, it is. Is it possible for me to bear fruit outside of Christ? No, it's not. You may Bear fruit, in quotes, things that look like fruit, but you're not really in Christ. You may do good, but you're not really in Christ. Case in point, how many Muslims and Hindus do we see out there who do good, perhaps even better than Christians, but they are not in Christ? And the reason why Jesus stresses that we need to be in Christ for that fruit to be real fruit is because, one, He is the true vine. All life and vitality flows from Christ. Paul reminds us of this in Colossians chapter 3, verse 3. Your life is hid in Christ. Therefore, set your eyes on the things above. The only thing that can help us to kill sin, brothers and sisters, and to live a life which is pleasing to God, is not that we have strength in and of ourselves. It is because God works in us. God works in us to do that which is pleasing to him. Paul says in Philippians chapter 2 verse 12 to 13, Therefore, brothers, be all the more zealous to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Why is that? God is at work in you to will and to do not for my own glory, not for, for my own good pleasure, for his good pleasure. A sheep that lives a life like a sheep without really being worked on by God, is not really a shame. Yeah. Someone who does good, not in Christ, gets all the glory. And not Christ himself. Not God. Because we must realize that we are sinners, depraved. Our brother Benji took us through a session on total depravity during the conference. And he reminded us of one thing. We are not totally depraved in that we, ca- we have no good in us or that we have no ability to do that which is good, but sin has infected every faculty of the human nature. We may want to do good, but they do that the good that we want to do, we do not do, Paul says in Romans chapter 7. Yeah. We are fallen in sin, dead in sin, no ability to respond to God in and of ourselves unless God works in us. We can't. So any good we do is what Isaiah would say, filthy rags. And we will stand before God and we will tell God, God, I have done A, B, C, D, allow me to enter heaven. And he will say, filthy rags. He will turn his face away and he will throw you to hell. Why? Because all that you have done has not been done from in Christ by faith. And we know what Paul says, whatever does not proceed from faith is what? It's sin. Whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. And so, we are joined to the true vine and we are tended by the Father. And the work that we do is not our own. And Paul tells us that in Ephesians chapter 2 verse 10. He says we are His workmanship. Everything that we do is God doing it in us. And we ask ourselves, which are the branches that are pruned? Now, the idea here that John or Jesus Christ wants us to see is that there needs to be pruning yeah. there are those branches that do not bear fruit and then there are those branches that do bear fruit and the ones that bear fruit need pruning why does he say this? we must realize that even though we are Christians and we have yes placed our faith in Christ and are bearing fruit there are still useless parts in us that need to be worked on And that's what John is saying here because we realize the vine dresser only prunes those branches that one, bear fruit, need pruning because those parts that are pruned or those parts that are removed from them can cause them not to bear fruit more effectively. And an example is Peter. Peter is a really good example of what pruning looks like, right? A man who was really in Christ But then Christ tells him, oh Peter, I have prayed for you. Satan wanted to sift you like wheat, but I have prayed for you so that you may not fall away. And when you have come back, when you rise back up again, Peter, strengthen your brothers. And Peter learned a dependency on Christ. Peter learned to look to Jesus and to trust in him when he was pruned. And we all know that the pruning process takes place by a pruning knife. It's never comfortable, it's never easy to be pruned, brothers and sisters. And so more often than not, God does his pruning through suffering. Through the pruning knife of suffering. Why does he do that? So that all the branches might be responsive to his tending and to his caring and to his working in their hearts. So that they may bear more Fruit. And we all know that pruning never stops. It's all the way until that vine finally dies away. We know that Christ will never die. And so, therefore, pruning will always take place until Jesus comes back. The believer will always be worked on, sanctified, until the Lord Jesus comes back. And sanctification happens primarily by God's word. And when his people are not responsive to his word, he brings about suffering so that they may be responsive to that word, and so that they may bear fruit. And so, brothers and sisters, any time that you face suffering, you must understand that that, as Paul would say in Romans chapter 8, verse 28, is for your own good, and in verse 29, so that you might become more and more and more like Jesus Christ, that you may bear fruit that glorifies God. The pruning process usually happened at a time when the vine dresser would walk around the vine or would walk in the vineyard and he would look at the vines and he would see that the vines are not bearing fruit or when he would see that there are some branches which were obstructing that process of bearing fruit. And so this is what the vine dresser would do. He would simply cut off those parts and he would cut them off so slowly, you know, slowly but tenderly and with all the care and the love and affection that you can give to a plant and to a vine, because you also know that a vine is very soft and tender. It has to entwine itself on a tree or on a pole so that it grows well, and so that's how the Father does it. We need to understand that at the points where we suffer, God does it with all tender love and affection. He does not do it in a way such as to show himself to be a tyrannical despot. God does not bring suffering upon his people so that to destroy them, he brings it to them so that they may grow and become more and more like Jesus. Like Jesus Christ, their Lord and Savior. Now we must realize we've been talking about branches and we've been talking also about branches that bear fruit and the ones that do not bear fruit in verse 3 jesus says already you are clean because of the word that i have spoken to you and by way of reminder this is how god saves his people he saves his people through god's word romans ten seventeen: faith comes through hearing the only thing that will bind us together with christ is his word his word alone can bring faith and therefore it is a call for all of us to study God's word. It is a call for all of us to read God's word and to sever it and to dig deep into it because that is the only way that we will really experience true joy in Christ. That is the only way that we can bear fruit. Jesus says in John 17:17 17, 17, in his high priestly prayer to the Father, sanctify them in your truth. Why? Your word is truth. word is true we need to read god's word as christians and we need to pray as christians because in verse 7 if you abide in me and my words abide in you ask whatever you wish and it will be done to you or it will be done for you it's very interesting here some people say that jesus here is implying that if we abide in him if we remain to be christians to the end then we can ask for anything, and they mean literally anything, and Jesus will do it for us. We still need to understand that Jesus is talking about the vine, and he's still talking about the branches. He has not yet left that analogy. So we are still here. And Jesus says here, O branch, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. Now a question. A branch in the vine which is tended to by the vine dresser, its only desire, really, is to bear fruit. And so the branch will only pray for those things which will help it to bear fruit. And because it is the desire of the vine dresser that the branch bears fruit, then the vine dresser gives to the branch what is really needed to bear fruit. So next time you ask for a car, and that car will not aid in you becoming more Christian and more Christ-like, trust me, it never comes. Whatever we pray for, if it will aid our sanctification, Jesus says it will be done for you. Because the vine dresser is in no other business than making the branch bear fruit. The father is in no other business than making you more like Christ. God has no other business than making you more like Jesus. And you must always realize that. Because everything that happens in our lives, everything that comes our way, Romans 8 verse 28, all things are geared towards one thing, your good. And what is your good? That you may become more Christ-like. You may become more Christ-like. Our brother Victor was preaching during the conference and he mentioned something interesting. Um, And he says... He said that in our time of suffering, when we suffer, we must not really see suffering as something that comes from any other source but God himself. Why? Paul says in Philippians 4, my God is able to supply all my needs. And so if suffering is what we need for us to become more like Christ, he brings it. If a wife is what I need to become more like Christ, he will give me a wife. And if I pray for one so that I may become more like Christ, God promises to bring one. If I pray for a job, and that will make me more like Christ, God will provide one. If I pray for a job, as what James would say, when I pray amiss, to spend it on my own lusts, that prayer is never answered. And so the reason why prayers are answered of Christians is not because you prayed hard, it's not because you cried while you are praying. It is because God, in His own wisdom, knew that that prayer will serve you best to glorify Him. That prayer will cause you to bear fruit. You know, sometimes you usually feel. The reason why God answered that prayer is because He, he saw how my face was ugly when I was praying. When I was, when I was praying in Kunja Surah style, you know, and that's why God answered my prayer. No! He answers prayer, one, because he does all things according to the counsel of his will. Ephesians 1.11 All things are done according to the counsel of his will. So, brothers and sisters, we need to take heart whenever we pray and whenever those prayers are not answered. Elizabeth Elliot says, uh, and my fiancée loves that quote a lot, she says that, I think I've forgotten it a bit, maybe... You know she knows it best, but uh, I will not say and I quote. I'll just say I will paraphrase what she says: that if the Lord knows this is what I need, then He'll give it to me. If the Lord knows this is really what I need, then He will give it to me. If tomorrow I do not have food, the Lord knows perhaps I did not need food that day to glorify Him, to honor Him, and to praise Him. And so when Christ has said all of this, it does not stop there. Verse 9 to 17 is an explanation of what has happened in verse 1, to verse, verse 1 to verse 8. Everything that Christ has said, abide in me, remain in me to the very end, bear fruit, verse 9 to 17, offers an explanation. And in this section, Jesus says a couple of things. One, he says that he has shown his love for us by dying for us. Verse 13... Greater love has no one than this, that someone laid down his life for his friends. And in Jesus saying that, he has said he has done the greatest act of love. Christ says that no one has ever done anything like this for his friends. He has never done anything like this. Only he has, and he has done the greatest act of love. How does God demonstrate his love for us? Romans 5.8 In that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us And we must realize that another place Christ says It is easy for someone to die and lay down his life for a righteous person It is easy for you to do that However, it is not easy for you to do that for an unrighteous person Someone who justly deserves God's wrath to die for them That's not easy because sometimes we feel and we think that when Jesus was dying at the cross, he was smiling. Or it was easy. And we think that Jesus, when he was carrying the cross, is like, oh God, this is so easy. you know, Just for a couple of people, I'm laying down my life. No. Jesus here is saying, this is the greatest act of love that has ever been done. And he says, therefore, because of this, verse 14, you are my friends if you do what? i command you and what does jesus command us verse 12 this is my commandment that you love one another as i have loved you how has jesus loved us he has laid down his life for us and therefore he commands his disciples lay down your life for one another love one another because i have given you the blueprint of what it means to love jesus is not sending us into a, to a wild goose chase Jesus is not saying love one another and then he doesn't say, he doesn't tell us how to love. He shows us how to love, doesn't he? He says I have loved you this way, therefore love one another. Yeah? And he has given us this, therefore we are to imitate him if we are truly in him by laying down our lives for one another. What does that involve? We must realize Jesus one, died for people who are unworthy. He shed his blood for me and you because we deserved God's Wrath. and so the next time that we think that it is not easy to love your wife who is not being easy on you remember how you have not been easy to love remember how you are a sinner and God still sent his son to die for you and that is how God asks us to love one another that brother who gives you a hard time at work remember one thing, he's a brother and God calls you to love him despite everything that he's doing. God calls you to wait and to pray for him and to seek him out the same way he sought you out. God calls you to dwell in unity with other believers and to share in their joys and in their suffering. Why? Because that is what God did. Jesus Christ came to identify with mere sinners like me and you. How much more, therefore, can we should we identify with each other? ever remember the story of the parable of the wicked servant or the servant who would not forgive? interestingly, he was forgiven a really huge debt, a really huge debt that he could never pay. yeah he was forgiven talents, and a talent was, a, was one talent was a wage for ten years that was a wage that he could never pay and someone else had a debt of his of how many uh, denarii a hundred I presume a denarii or a denarius was salary or wages for a day's work and so he was forgiven a huge debt but could not forgive a day's work debt such a wicked man isn't he and we are like that man more often than not aren't we when we fail to see how God has forgiven us, when we fail to see how much God has done for us at the cross of Calvary, when Ephesians chapter 5 verse 1 all of a sudden is blurry because Jesus says imitate God, be imitators of God, Paul says rather, be imitators of God. Why? Because Jesus was given as a sacrifice for you. Therefore, forgive one another as God has forgiven you in Christ. We find it so hard to love one another like that and that is one example of bearing fruit jesus says if the father is really at work in your heart you will forgive if the father is really at work in your heart you will love like i loved and he says interestingly when we read verse 14 13 and 14 greater love has no one than this that someone laid down his life for his friends. And who, has, who are his friends? What is the description of the people that Jesus died for? They do what he commands. And they love one another. And so brother and sister, if you live your life without love, what Jesus is saying simply, he never died for you. He never died for you. That's what John says in 1 John 4. Whoever does not love, does not know God. And the love of God is not in him. Whoever keeps himself from a love of other believers, he has not been saved. You're not a Christian, basically, because that is the primary Christian fruit. Forgiveness and dwelling in unity with each other. We have prayed here and we have sung this song, I ask the Lord that I might grow in faith and love. And every grace might more of his salvation know and seek more earnestly his face. And then in verse, the last last two verses, Lord, why is this I trembling asked, will thou pursue thy womb to death? And what does God answer? It is in this way the Lord replied, I answer prayer for grace and peace. These inward trials I employ to set thy heart free and break thy schemes of earthly joy that thou may find thine all in me. The work of the Father in the heart of the Christian, even when he is doing the pruning and sanctifying us, is that we may love one another. Is that we may love one another. That is bearing fruit. And so a couple of questions. Do you love each other? Do you desire to spend time with other Christians? Do you desire to be with them? Do you shy away from the fellowship of Christians? Every time a prayer meeting is called, you are never to be found. Every time Bible studies are there, you are never to be found. Because we do realize that that is really the road to not abiding in Christ. Hebrews 10, do not forsake the meeting of believers, the meeting together of other Christians. Why? It's really usually a downward spiral. It's a slippery slope all the way to apostasy. Yeah. Hebrews 6, if land that used to take in and drink in much water and was tilled and was fertile once and bore fruit and then all of a sudden starts to bear thorns and briars and thistles, it is of no use other than to be thrown out, other than to be burnt. Salt that has lost its saltiness, It's of no use rather than to be thrown and to be trampled, isn't it? Yeah. A Christian who has lost his Christianhood is of no use. And in fact, that's what Christ would refer to in Revelation chapter 3 to the church in Laodicea. Useless, therefore, I will spit you out of my mouth. It is something that we should always remind ourselves. Christians who do not keep God's commandments are not Christians to begin with and we know that the summary of the commandments is to love the lord your god with all your heart and then love your neighbor as you love yourself love the lord your god and love your neighbor and john gives us a very great contrast and he says you're fooling yourself if you say that you love god whom you do not see i do not love your neighbor that you see john 13:35 how will the world know that we are the disciples of christ is if we love one another we love one another brothers and sisters it's worth noting because Jesus is the true vine the one who bears fruit and the greatest fruit that Jesus ever bore was his love for us and because we are branches and the vital life of Christ flows through us we will bear fruit we will love one another we will be there for each other as the words of our covenant would say sharing in each other's joy sharing in each other's sufferings brother Tony is having a wedding next week in, in the next week. If you have something against him, brother, share in his joy. Go to his wedding. Yeah. And pull him aside privately and tell him, brother, this and this has happened. Yeah. Share in each other's joy. What Jesus is saying here should also help us kill envy. We realize how many times we are envious with each other. And we know envy causes us to rejoice with those who weep. And weep with those who rejoice it really perverts God's view of things, right? Because you have it and I don't, therefore I don't like you. We are more like Diotrephes in 3 John. I don't like you and those who like you, I don't like them. Yeah? That's just how it works sometimes in our hearts. Yeah, Love is seen in so many ways. For the purpose of time, we will not really go so much in that. But Jesus finishes off by reminding us, of one thing again where he says finally the third point he gives us the reason why he has been saying of all these things and that is found in verse 11 these things i have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full we started off by saying that that analogy of the spouse going into a faraway land and the only thing he leaves us is a letter and if we read that letter over and over and over again he tells us that we will have joy that's what Jesus does because notice in verse 15, No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. Why does he call us friends? For all that I have heard from my father I have made known to you. Christ has made known to us everything that the vine dresser requires of the branches. He has made known to us all that God the Father requires of Christians. Therefore, no one can plead ignorance and say, I never knew. No branch can say, well, I was in the vine, but I never bore fruit. How did that happen? The answer would be, you are never really in the vine. And the answer would be, look, there are other branches which are bearing fruit. How come you're not bearing fruit unless you want to accuse Jesus of not being the true vine, the one who has all vitality and life in him? So, Because at the end of the day, it's always on us, isn't it? When we do not live a life that is pleasing to God, it's on us. It's never on God. God has provided the means of grace necessary. It's us who ignore. It's us who do not read God's word and therefore do not progress in sanctification. It's us who do not pray and therefore we do not progress in sanctification. God has never withheld anything good because he says that he does not withhold any good gift from his people one of them being prayer and the other god's word those things that we need to become more like him he has made available what is the call read god's word jesus says that i have made known to you everything that you need to know while you are walking in this while you're walking in this world and why has he done that for your joy for your joy Have you ever seen joyless Christians? Christians who go about limping on their way to heaven. Why are they joyless? It's because they do not keep God's word. They do not do that which is good in God's sight. Christ, as God's son, the true vine, pleased God. God delighted in him. And Jesus says, because you are in me, the branches, then my joy flows to you. How does does Christ's joy flow to us? It's only if we behave like him, isn't it? It's only when the branches bear fruit that bear testimony to the truthness of the vine, to the truth of the vine, that they experience the joy of the vine. It's only when you live a life pleasing to God that is when you can have the full assurance that you are a Christian. John says this in the book of 1 John three ways to know that you're a christian and to have joy in verse one in chapter one verse one to three he says i am saying all these things to you that your joy may be full what things one do you love god and do you love his people do you obey the commandments of god do you hate other christians if you do he says you have no assurance that you're a christian and that's what jesus says if you bear fruit you will have joy and you will have assurance that you truly, truly belong to him. You ask a Christian, brother, why are you sad? And they will tell you most probably, I sinned yesterday. But there is hope, isn't it? When a Christian sins and he's sad and he's broken by it, he's not just there sinning and it doesn't affect him. He's not just there sinning and he's joyful. If he's joyless, then he's a Christian. A sinning man who is joyful while sinning, brothers and sisters, plainly, is not a Christian. We cannot do something that offends God as God's people and think that we are God's people. We are not. Only those who do that which is pleasing to God are god's people and finally as i end perhaps you're here and you're really experiencing joy in your life and perhaps you have come to church this sunday to listen to god's word and you're a really prayerful person the plumb line is one are you really joined to the true vine are you really joined to christ And the only thing that ever truly joins us to Christ is faith. The only thing that ever truly brings us together with the Son of God is faith. And so I ask you a question. Have you come to know the true vine? Is his life flowing in you? Or are you deceiving yourself? Because we see what happens to every person who is not in him. He is thrown into the fire and he burns. John the Baptist says, already the axe is at the root. Therefore, bear fruit in keeping with repentance. Live a life that is pleasing to God. You want joy in your life? Live a life that is pleasing to God. Depend on him. Pray, read God's word. If you can, fast, seek him. Because apart from him, we can do nothing. As we end the service today, we are going to sing a hymn, Trust and obey. Why? There is no other way to be happy in Jesus than to trust and obey. And the greatest obedience you could ever obey, you could ever do, is to put your faith in Jesus. Put your faith in Jesus. For the parents here, wouldn't it shock you if your 10-year-old comes back home and says, Dad, I have a phone? You'd probably knock the sense out of them, right? How can a 10-year-old have, phone, have a phone and you've not yet bought it for them? You'd think that it reflects badly on you, right? You'd think that the child is asserting independence and is not dependent on you. Well, that is what God desires of us. To be wholly dependent on him It is strange when people claim to bear fruit And they are not in Christ Strange It shows that you are depending on yourself You say oh well I don't need Christ I can simply go to heaven I do this and I do this I consider myself a good person You are not in the eyes of God You are a depraved sinner Who needs to be reconciled to him You are an enemy of God Who needs to be made a friend You need to depend on jesus and the first step of dependence on christ is to go on your knees and to beg him for mercy and to say you are the true vine the source of all joy the source of all comfort the source of all life in you is eternal life forgive me for i have sinned against you let's pray our lord and our god we are grateful once again because you're a great god and a true God, you're the true vine, the one in, in whom flows all vitality and all life. And Lord, we cannot express how great you are. We cannot express how magnanimous you are. We cannot express how in you is life and how in you is all vitality. How in you flows the issues of life because we are in you, oh Lord. And because we are in you, Lord Jesus, you promise that all those that are in you will bear fruit. Forgive us, O Lord, where we have not borne fruit in keeping with repentance. Forgive us, O Lord, where we have lived our lives in such a way that we are not in you, in such a way that we show that we are not really Christians. Forgive us for thinking that we can do it without you. If there is anyone among us, O oh Lord, who has not yet come to saving faith, and is still living in depending still living depending on themselves and not in you who is the true vine, Father we pray that your word may work in their hearts, and that you may draw them to yourself, that they may acknowledge that they are helpless and that without you they can do nothing, that you are the true vine, and in you there is forgiveness of sin. In you we become your friends, and in you there is fullness of joy. In Christ Jesus we pray. Amen.